Um, I just have to say that was amazing. Like, I don't, I mean, that just was incredible. You said what? Before Lent, go ahead and get that. Anyway, that brought a smile to my face and like my heart is still racing, which I'm not sure what that does for my sermon on stillness right now. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Yeah, my heart rate's at like at 96, but that's not too high. Mine beats fast normally anyway. That was incredible. Loved it. So sharing with y'all my heart rate being high is a good place to begin because nothing about my personality or my life experience really speaks to today's theme and message. Um, my parents would tell you that I was very active even in the womb. Upon arrival, um, I began walking by nine months. My grandmother argues it may have been a little earlier. My first grade teacher regularly told my mom that even when I was my most still and doing my best work, my desk had a way of wobbling across the classroom floor. I jumped as a child from activity to activity. I did cheerleading and horse shows, piano recitals, ballet, tap, gymnastics, mascotting, pageants, public speaking competitions, 4-H competitions, uh, participation in my conference council on youth ministry. I remember, in all sincerity, hearing it as a personal challenge when my mom would say, Stephanie, you can't do it all. Internally, I heard and felt, oh yeah? Watch me. Even today, uh, I think my family can attest, when we have a task to do, I tend to accomplish those things more quickly. Now, we're not talking about quality, just about speed. Um, I can multitask like it's nobody's business. When I'm on the phone, I often have my earplugs in so that my hands are free and I can be accomplishing a multitude of things. I doodle when I listen. My Enneagram tells me regularly that for my type as an eight, that I should get at least 15,000 steps a day to channel my drivenness and my need for physical activity into something productive. So I know and want you to know that nothing I am saying today comes from a place of doing this well. I am the least among you. Instead, this sermon comes from my own deep awareness of my need for it. Less busyness, less distraction, more stillness. As I grow and mature, I know more and more how it is actually stillness that deeply connects me to all. And it is stillness that is in fact what gives me the reservoir I need to know best what needs to be done. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see a pattern of him stepping away from distractions and busyness. It was a regular part of his life. Most of Jesus' activities, I think we would all undeniably say, are good. They are healing. Matter of fact, they were life-producing for many. Yet he still practiced stillness in body, mind, and heart. Solitude and stepping away for his own health and balance and connection. 
I want you to listen to just a small sampling from the Gospels put together by Bill Gartier in an article called Jesus's Solitude and Silence. Listen to all these biblical references. Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, Mark 1:16. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed, Mark 1, 35. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That's in Luke and in Mark. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, Mark 2:13. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples came and walked along. Mark 2, 23. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. Mark 3, 7. Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. That's in Luke and in Mark. Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Matthew 13, 1. When Jesus heard, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place, Matthew 14, 13. Because so many people were coming and going and they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, Mark 6, 31 through 32. After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there alone. Matthew 14, 23. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went on up the mountain and he sat down there. Matthew 15, 29. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. Mark 9, 2. That's just a sampling to make clear to you this was a normal rhythm and practice within the life of Jesus. Now, first thing, when I listen to that, I hear a couple things. First thing I hear is truly it can be a spiritual practice to go to the lake. Can I get an amen? amen. Go to the mountains. Come on. And go to the beach. And, and my husband's going to love this, getting a boat is a biblical principle. <laughs> right? Amen? Come on, Steve. Yeah, all right. But we do truly see the practice of Jesus stepping aside from all those things. These are good things. These are life-giving things, and yet he still practices stillness in body and mind. When we take into account our mandate in the Psalms to be still, and thus we will know God, I think we have a deeper awareness of why the practice of being still and clearing away distractions is so vitally important. So much in our culture and in our own minds invites us to be distracted and to find our value in our activity. While writing this sermon a few weeks ago, I texted Melissa Scott, who's a yoga teacher, she's a counselor, and she's also a recent seminary student. I asked her upon my own confession of how in yoga the most absolute difficult practice for me is just the whole sitting still pose. I asked her to share with, with me some of her thoughts on stillness and why it can be so hard for us. Here's what she said. If you take it way back to yoga philosophy, the two things that keep us from being able to see our true nature, which is pure love, and essentially achieve enlightenment are, number one, 
avoidance of suffering and discomfort, and two, the chasing of pleasure. Sitting still is uncomfortable, period. So both our bodies and our minds want to avoid it because we have this belief that we should avoid uncomfortable things and only pursue things that are pleasurable or enjoyable. And that creates blocks between us and what we might call divine love. To put it in more modern terms, I personally believe stillness is where all of our stuff comes up. We feel that sadness or grief that we've been avoiding. We remember the awkward or embarrassing thing we said. We worry that we might not have enough money. We spend all day, every day, running around avoiding these thoughts because they are uncomfortable. Stillness is basically like being naked. We don't have any of our distractions that keep us from thinking about those things. No work, no phone, no conversation. And we can no longer avoid those uncomfortable things that we really, truly need to look at. Sitting in stillness seems like the most simple thing ever, but I believe it's one of the most complex practices there is. Part of my practice of stillness that I am learning to cultivate really primarily focuses upon my day off but it's a beginning place. So most of the time, once Steve's gone to work and the kids have gone to school, I make my way downstairs and I will go sit in our hot tub that's on the back of our deck that faces the creek that y'all often hear me talk about or show pictures about. And I just listen and look. And right now I just look at the bare form of the trees that are in the back and the creek. I often stretch out in our recliner Sawyer got a 15-pound weighted blanket for Christmas, and I pull that up over me because the sheer weight of something helps me remember I'm supposed to be still. In the summer months or the spring, I lay out on the couch that's on our deck, and I often just doze off. And I do that practice quite regularly when I write sermons or before I send important emails to y'all because things become clearer for me when I move the distractions out of my mind and my body and I get still and wait. When I took sabbatical a few years ago, I remember working with Joe to cultivate a learning plan and he told me I had one task, to be present and to be thankful. I remember being very pragmatic and I asked, Joe, can I be present while I'm folding clothes and getting other things done too? And he encouraged me to fold clothes and give thanks for each garment, to not watch TV, to not talk on the phone, to not accomplish anything else, just fold and think about the clothes and give gratitude for them. And this would help still my mind as well as my body. Stillness is a spiritual practice. It is a way that helps us move beyond the noise of our society, the urge to do, to accomplish, and to be seen as anything more or anything less than what we really are. It is awareness of life in its fullness. It's a posture of gratitude and a willingness to be present to what truly is without judging it, good or bad. It is choosing to follow a rhythm of grace 
and to depart from the world of mindlessness and incessant demands that we must do more to be worthwhile and valuable. On the day that I wrote this sermon, this quote came my way that said, on this winter day, know that the seasons unfold effortlessly without force or effort on your part. Friends, I no doubt believe that we cannot notice that in truth unless we slow down and become still. I think we can find there is rich reason Jesus modeled for us that even amongst the most life-giving and important things that we are asked to do, called to do, and must do, we should each develop a rhythm of stillness in our lives. I want to close by reading a beautiful piece of prose that is written by an Alabama native, Margaret Rinkle. She's a regular writer for the New York Times, and I was given this copy of her book called Late Migrations, A Natural History of Love and Loss. And in it is a series of essays where she often draws upon creation to see a deeper truth. I read this essay that I'm going to read to you now. I have read it to practically every one of our lay teams as we have begun this year and to our staff. And so I'm sorry for those of y'all who are hearing it for like the fifth time. Though it may not be my personality nor my nature, I believe there is incredibly profound wisdom and truth in her words that we are invited to live into. Hear her wise awareness. I paused to check the milkweed, and a caterpillar halts mid-bite, its face still lowered to the leaf. I walk down my driveway at dusk, and the cottontail under the pine tree freezes. Not a single twitch of ear or nose. On the roadside, the doe stands immobile, as still as the tree that rises above her. My car passes by. Her soft nose doesn't quiver. Her soft flanks don't rise or fall. A current of air stirs only the hairs at the very tip of her tail. I peek between the branches of the holly bush, and the red bird nestling looks straight at me, motionless, unblinking. Every day, the world is teaching me what I need to know to be in the world. In the stir of too much motion, hold still, be quiet, listen. Thanks be to God for stillness.